Hello, I am Sharon Roberson Pender, and I'm the president and CEO of the Capital Region Minority Supply Development Council and the operator of the U.S. Department of Commerce Minority Business Development Agency's Business Center in the Commonwealth of Virginia, the first of its kind. This year, we're incredibly excited because we're celebrating 50 years of advocating for and connecting our corporate members with well-established, competitively viable minority-owned firms. Today in this special episode, we celebrate a dynamic woman. This is kind of like making my day, month, year, and decade. She's a powerhouse in business and inspiration to many, and that's Ms. Kathy Hughes. Before we get started with the conversation with Ms. Hughes, let me share a bit about her background in case you've been living under a rock and you don't know these things. Kathy Hughes is a dynamic media pioneer who demonstrates the power of one, one woman, one vision, one company, Urban One. Her career, her radio career rather, began in her hometown of Omaha, Nebraska, and her unprecedented career has spawned a multimedia conglomerate that generate original content across the spectrum of radio, television, and digital media. Urban One, formerly known as Radio One, is the largest African-American-owned diversified media corporation in the nation. It reaches more than 80% of the African-American market through its subsidiaries. Those um, entities include Radio One, TV One, Clio TV, two cable TV networks, Reach Media, a syndication that produces D.L. Hughley Show, among others. Um, she moved to Washington, D.C. and became a lecturer in the newly established School of Communications at Howard University. And during her tenure, she served as general sales manager in WHUR. Many of you remember that um, with Howard University Radio. She increased during that time revenues from 250K to 3 million in her, just in her first year. And she became the first woman vice president general manager. And this is what we know and still know that people have duplicated all over the globe, the quiet storm. She was the originator of that. She was the creator of that which revolutionary, revolutionary, revolutionized sorry, urban radio and aired over 480 stations. We have a lot we can say about Ms. Hughes, but what you also will remember is that in, in 1999, she became the first African-American woman to chair a publicly held corporation following the sale of more than 7 million shares of common stock to the public. She's done an incredible amount in the time, and she's still a very young woman, we know that um, there's more to come. And as a result to, of her continued success, she's earned hundreds of prestigious awards, inducted into the National Association of Broadcasting, um, Broadcasting Hall of Fame in 2019. Um, and then her, you know, her philanthropic work is legendary. Um, and But let's extend a warm welcome to Ms. Hughes. I can't tell you, good morning, but I cannot tell you how much of an honor this is. I can't tell you how much of an honor it is to be recognized by the Capital Region Minority Supplier Development Council, uh, an organization that 50 years went like in the blink of an eye. I think I probably became involved with you all when uh, my company was maybe 25, 20, 25 years old. Okay. And so, yeah, so I'm one of the veteran uh, uh, members of your organization. And uh, I thank you for that very gracious introduction. Oh, no, um, thank you. Uh, for the, I've been president now for seven years, and this is something I've always wanted to do in, in terms of 
um, being able to have this conversation, but more importantly for us in the age of podcast to be able to share the conversation. And so it just means a whole lot to us. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and the organization has grown and, and, uh, thrived during COVID under your leadership. So I commend you because that's not an easy job to hold everyone together and continue to move forward in the midst of an entire country shutdown. It wasn't just, you know, and so many companies went out of business as a result of COVID. Uh, so many are still struggling because of it. So I salute you and, and, uh, I want everyone to know how proud so many of us are, are of your leadership. Oh, thank you. That means so, so, so very much. And you're right about the the struggles of pandemic. I, you know, I tell people that we're celebrating 50 years. How wonderful is that? Because without advocacy organizations, the conversation would be different. But that, that's right. the good news. The bad news is that we're celebrating 50 years. That is still a need and a purpose oh. for advocacy organizations. More so now than even before because of COVID, because of the Trump era, mm. because uh, of, uh, you know, at one time um, <laughs> it was, you know, a, 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 a challenge to get various uh, minority suppliers to come together so that they would have the scale to get the contracts. And all of a sudden there were no contracts for them to come together to get. Uh, because Trump and his administration made it quite clear. And one of the things that, that I don't think a lot of people realize that, you know, I, I'm acutely aware of being in D.C. with you, uh, is that something can happen in one administration, but it really doesn't reverberate until two or three other uh, terms down the line. So, you know, oftentimes even the good things that can happen in a uh, administration you don't feel the benefits of until it's in the future. And so we still have some very difficult times as um, minority uh, suppliers uh, as a result of those four years that Trump was the president of the United States. You're absolutely right. When I um, when when that administration began, um, and a lot of people don't know this, but the Department of Commerce, Minority Business um, Development Agency, which is the only one of its kind in the federal government, was never codified. And so every administration or every year they went through this, um, uh, they didn't, you know, we, the, their budget was up in the air. It was It was just never up. Basically a recreation you all had to go through. Right. And so when, when Trump came, they were talking about elimination, elimination of the budget and that kind of stuff. So then we had to, because I'm a 501c3, we had to educate <laughs> um, uh, folks about the importance or, you know, it's the only one federal agency that's geared toward minority businesses. It's it's underfunded in, compared, in comparison to others. But there was never a, the political will to kind of get it done until it just happened in, in December of 2021, after 53 years. 53 years it took them to make that agency um, a real a real agency. <laughs> <laughs> it stands right. Yeah, exactly. You know, a lot of people really do not understand, and they get frustrated. And you know, and, and we see it now with um, everyone trying to encourage people to come out in November and vote. Uh, because they don't realize that what they do today affects the future. And you may not see the result of your efforts immediately. But things such as the shutdown, okay, if you all had not been codified, if you all had not been established as a true agency, that would have happened instantaneously. That would have been cancellation of billions of dollars of opportunity 
for um, uh, black, uh, black, brown, Asian, uh, everyone under the category of, of minority. And then we have on top of that, the whole issue of gender. Mm. Are women actually minority or are women actually the majority in this country? And so it's a, it's a constant battle, but congratulations that finally, you're duly recognized and established as a viable agency that does not have to each administration justify why they should be in existence. Right. And so, you know, I used to always love to hear your commentaries and hear your talk shows and those kinds of things, because I can imagine, you know, when we look at the attack on affirmative action, particularly now, and we look at the Supreme Court, we look at what happened with Roe um, versus Wade. Wait, mm-hmm. uh, and this was a question I was going to ask you at the end, but I, we could, now while we're talking, here, <laughs> uh, where do you see, I mean, where do you feel and see the direction given the environment that we're in right now? The thing that concerns me the most is the apathy. I think that people of color expected um, a lot more from the Obama administration. They expected that first black woman to go on the Supreme Court because black women did, in fact, put Barack Obama into the White House. Uh, And so uh, we would be experiencing our second African-American woman. And um, the the shift of, um, uh, you know, uh, the Supreme Court has been going on for years. This voter repression is not new. And so you have a lot of frustration from individuals that don't understand how it operates. They think that if you're president, uh, you can just demand or you can just command. Uh, and guess what? Donald Trump gave that impression. All right. But that's not how, you know, it really works. There's a lot of frustration now that January 6th was clearly a failed coup d'etat. What is taking them so long? Every week, there's no more and more and more evidence that there was wrongdoing. If you or I, Sharon, were guilty of a fraction, a small fraction of what this man has documented, proved he's guilty of himself and even his own lawyers, we would be up under someone's jail. So we have this frustration. So I'm really, really, really concerned about the future at this point. I never thought I'd get to be this old and think that we could slide that far backwards and that, you know, at one time, you know, I'm in the entertainment industry and at one time you couldn't do an award show without somebody making a speech. Power to the people in the war, uh, women's rights. Now they come up and they think they're significant other. <laughs> okay, are they, uh, you know, uh, recognize the individuals that are in partnership with them? They're, at one time you could not go to a church without hearing some type of social activism being preached. All right. It was a gospel of liberation in all churches, black, white, Hispanic, Latino. Now it's a gospel of prosperity. Uh, you know, at one time, you know, our heroines were, were uh, the Angela Davises of the world. Now it's Kim Kardashian. All right. And, and you know, I mean, I remember, you know, as a young woman, wanting to be an Angela Davis, wanting to uh, survive the way she was able to survive. The only black woman's ever been on the uh, FBI's 10 most wanted list. And this sister has not only survived, she has thrived and she's touched so many individuals, but you don't hear anybody talking about it. 
You know, uh, the news isn't about advancement. Uh, the news is about the devastation that's occurring in every community around the country. And yet we have individuals that say it's okay for you to carry a gun in public while kids in a grade school were gunned down. So um, I try to remain optimistic. I try to remain prayerful. But I am really frightened, to be very honest uh, with you. Uh, what I see going on in Africa in terms of the slaughter and mutilation of uh, our brothers and sisters, what's going on in Ukraine, and you don't hear anyone calling it white-on-white white crime, but that's precisely what it is. Putin is white, and he's killing off white people. How could this be happening after the less of Hitler and what he did to the Jewish community. And yet it's happening right there before our very eyes. So I keep saying to, to every person I possibly can, please vote. Please, please vote. You have a football player who now has a record documenting that he participated in an abortion. Okay. Has children all over the country and has his own son talking about how hard it's been for his daddy to be having all these miscellaneous babies and abortions around the country. And you're going to make him a senator over the man who is responsible for Martin Luther King's church. Not only is he a senator, but Warnock also is a minister. And so I really am concerned that God might be not only concerned, but very angry with how we're living our lives. We're polluting the air. If we didn't learn anything from that horrible hurricane in Florida, hurricanes are a result, are all a result. They all start in Africa and they're all a result of the temperature of the ocean. Okay, that's what fuels a hurricane is the temperature of the ocean rising up. It took out entire communities. The most touching interview I saw on the devastation in Florida was a woman who said, where do you begin to rebuild? When you don't even have a starting point to rebuild, you realize, and yet we have idiots running around talking about, oh, no, there's no climate change. There's no, you know, we're not killing the atmosphere. So I know that was an awful long uh, answer, and I apologize, but it was my heart. It was my soul. Because I'm 75 years old now, and I just knew that by the time I got to be this age and my company had been around for 42 years, that I would be able to kind of take a couple bows. Oh, okay, this is good. This is better. All right, we made progress. We made advance instead. advances instead. I'm having to beg people to please go to the polls. Wow. Don't apologize. I mean, this is what we want to hear. This is, we miss you. So, <laughs> so I miss me. I miss I, and, and I purposely didn't he say anything because I wanted to hear it all. And I want people to hear it all. And so this, this is wonderful. I could not have asked for more, but let me, let me ask on, on that bank. Cause it was a couple things that you said. And, and, and it's when I look at, you know, because Martin Luther King talked about the second phase of the civil rights movement being about economics. Right. And then, of course, he died before he could do, you know, but but, they, but then again, what he was doing down in, in Memphis was about economics. So That's right. um, and so when we look at that and we look at the widening gap 
um, wealth gap that continues to widen for us. Now, my father- And the speaking of the opportunity. Yes, yes. And so we know that um, we aren't our parents' entrepreneurs, right? And so um, minority entrepreneurs are much more sophisticated now, much more savvy. You see that a few of them have really crossed the threshold in making the mark. A lot are, are, are giving back. Um, but, and I tell people whether a personal network cap, net worth cap, because that's sometimes how they cap stuff that we can't do it. You know, discrimination doesn't stop at a million dollars. And so there's still a, a need for us to, do that's right. you know, it doesn't, doesn't stop at $50 million. There's still a need um, for us to, to keep this out, out front. Um, the struggle still absolutely um, continues. There was a study done, but it was a couple of studies done. One um, from the my counterpart in Michigan, the Michigan Minority Supply Development Council, which said that given where we are now, at the pace we are going, it will take us 333 years to gain parity. 333 yeah. years. And so, someone else I saw um, speaking recently talked about how, um, in another study, it said it would take 99 years for us. For, so regardless, and so whether it's my grandchildren's grandchildren or my grandchildren's grandchildren's grandchildren. It's going to be generational. Yes. How many generations <laughs> it takes. It's not going to happen for your children or your grandchildren. It's going to be much, much further out in the future. What do you think it will take to us to to condense that gap? Wow. Hmm. Whoa. That's one that, that I pray over. That's one that I think about. Um, I think organizations like the Minority Supplier Development Council, I think the bringing together all right, in unity, there's strength. I think that that um, our grandparents and our parents, our ancestors who were entrepreneurs had to go it alone and oftentimes had to go it alone um, um, covertly, covertly at, you know, one time, just about every restaurant on Wall Street in New York City was owned by a black woman, but she had to have male fronts all right. And then oftentimes those male fronts had to have white fronts. Uh, we were not able to, to actually uh, form coalitions, form partnerships. Uh, I think that we uh, have to really concentrate on understanding that uh, in unity there is strength and that it doesn't matter whether or not you're an IT company and I'm a manufacturer of hair products, that there is a possibility of us still forming some type of joint partnership that will strengthen and, and help both of us. And I think that sometimes we're very myopic. We only look in our individual industries. And um, many years ago, the same person who loaned me my first million dollars also loaned Bob Johnson his first million dollars. Herb Wilkinson, uh, we lost Herb several years ago, but Herb's dream that was never fulfilled was to see BET and Radio One at that time. At that time, we were only a radio company and they were only a cable company come together and form one black media company, one black communications company. And um, oftentimes 
think about if his dream had been accomplished and fulfilled. Perhaps the two of us would have been as powerful, if not more powerful, than the Fox Network or CNN, all of which, all of whom came after us, okay, after us. So I think that the only viable way to shorten how long it's going to take us to get back to even being in parity, not even ahead of, okay, just back to equal uh, playing field um, is uh, dependent on our ability to recognize, understand, and partnership with each other and not worry about who's going to be in charge, not worry about who's more important. We've some type of way, and it's almost going to take a miracle, got to get past this ego that we have. Um, all generations have it, but this um, infatuation with celebrity status uh, just because a person has a hit record or just because a person, uh, you know, is popular does not mean that that person is moving the needle for the community. And that's something that we've got to recognize that oftentimes those individuals who are actually moving the needle, making improvements and uplifting the masses, you don't even know their names. All right. And those who have this celebrity status Spend it on jewelry, cars, homes, trips, uh, and that's not moving the needle for the masses. So I think that we have to reevaluate and change our priorities. Uh, and I think that the first priority we uh, have to change is looking out for someone outside of ourselves, getting beyond our own ego. Because I really am, I'm not a real religious woman. But I'm very spiritual. I pray constantly. And I really do believe that the more, because it's worked for me for, you know, seven plus decades, the more you do for somebody else, the more God does for you. It's when I've always uh, liked the Asian form of doing business where they uh, see their staff, their personnel as a family. Uh, with with the same ability to participate in decision making and ideas as the leadership, uh, and it's been so 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 beneficial to me and my company to help those individuals not only who work within my company but who we do business with, and the more we help someone else, uh, the more we grow, the more we prosper. But that's a change of priorities and perception because it starts with getting past your ego. That is, that is incredible. You know, we um, had um, uh, one of the other award winners in um, is Bob Johnson. And it's so interesting. He said the same thing in terms of, I asked him the question about what deal did you not do that you regret not doing? Did he say it was the yes, same I He did. <laughs> if Bob Okay, and, and he was the one that resisted, quite frankly. All right, uh, he not so much as Deborah Lee, who was his CEO at the time. I think if if um, uh, Sheila had still been okay in charge, I think because uh, Sheila and I've been good friends for many, many, many decades. I think it could have taken place. That was a big mistake. Okay, Bob Johnson and. Uh, 
Bob's company and our company could have, like I said, we could and have And that's what he said. That's what he said. <laughs> and that was Herb Wilkins, the man who loaned Bob $3 million on the same day that he loaned me $1 million. I called it gender discrimination. Oh. <laughs> he Cable was bigger than radio. He liked to say before we uh, he transitioned. He was like, Bob was doing a bigger deal than you. I was like, yeah, but Bob got three times the amount of money that I got. But yeah, that would that was that would have been the deal of all deals. But guess what? It's not too late for individuals who are in business now starting off to partner. We partnered with Tom Joyner. It wasn't Bob Johnson that we ended up partnering with, but we ended up uh, taking um, a partnership in Reach Media, which was the home of Tom Joyner. Now, through Reach Media, now we're the largest syndicator of Black content in this country. All right. We have D.L. Hughley. We have Ricky Smiley. We had Tom Joyner before he retired. We have all of these syndicated programs. We even have Steve Harvey in certain markets. Um, but it was Tom's father uh, who, yes, it was Tom, uh, Tom uh, Hercules was his name. He was a Tuskegee Airman. And Hercules uh, was very, very, very convincing uh, to Tom and Tom's partners that there was going to be strength in numbers. And um, Tom teases me all the time now that because um, he's really enjoying retirement, quite frankly. I miss him, and, I can tell you. <laughs> oh, my, oh, do I miss him? Uh, okay, listen, I know he'll kill me for telling you this, but I'm in the midst of trying to convince him to come back and he and I do a show together. That would be great. Okay, I agree. Okay, but Tom is really enjoying retirement, and he says that he would not be able to be enjoying retirement at the level at which he's living it now had it not been for the merging of the two companies. Uh, and can you imagine if it had been a merger of BET, uh, Radio One, and Tom Joyner's Reach Media? Okay, like I said, uh, I remember when um, uh, Bernard Shaw mm. was my neighbor. And he was sitting at my dining room table with my then husband, Dewey Hughes, discussing a guy named Ted Turner who wanted to hire him. Get out. To be his first host of color. And what did Dewey think about it? Uh, Dewey has always been like a godfather to media personalities. Um, Max Robinson, so many um, individuals have come because uh, into the media and achieved incredible success because of Dewey Youth. And Bernard Shaw was sitting at our dining room table asking Dewey, do you think I should sign a contract with him? Because he was working in network television and CNN was new. Right. We were already in business. Okay, we were already, okay, Radio One was already on the air uh, when Ted Turner launched CNN. So, you know, but like I said, um, you know, you don't want to look backwards. You want to look forward. And there's so many companies out there now, whether, like I said, you could be in hair care products and uh, be an IT company. See if there's some synergy. See if there's a possibility of working with someone that's not necessary. And it's great if they're in your same industry, but they don't have to be in order for you to form a meaningful partnership. Because even though uh, BET and Radio One were still under the you know umbrella of media, uh, they were appreciably different. Big difference between cable and local radio. 
All right, but Herb Wilkins, yep. So, oh, I'm so happy that that Bob. Is, uh, yeah, so I'm so happy that he said that because, uh, you know, um, I didn't realize that he had come into that realization. Um, That's something he should have done. Yep. That is so interesting. This is yeah, historic. Yeah. There's got to be a book or something about this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, very, very, very much um, historic. And uh, but, like I said, hey, that dream of Herb Wilkins and syndicated communication still can exist today. All right, and these, particularly because because of COVID, because you know our generation. Uh, we were sent to college to get a good job. Okay, my mama, you know, thank God she died at 96. Uh, but before she left me, she said to me, I gave you the worst damn advice, begging you to get a good government job. Okay, she was like, why do you keep wanting to work for yourself? Okay, the government never lays you off. Well, that's not true. <laughs> okay, all right. She was like, just get yourself a good government job. You'll have a good pension plan. And uh, when she was about 90 years old, she said to me, she said, I gave you the worst damn advice I ever gave any of my children. I'm so glad you didn't listen to me. <laughs> yeah, isn't that something? Isn't that something? Yeah. About, young, yeah. People, young people now, they go to college mm -hmm. to start the stuff. Yes. Okay. They're not trying to look for jobs. That's the employment crisis we have in America. That's right. Thank God mentalities have changed. These young people are like, whoa. And it's not, you know, the, the you know, Trumpers want to say that the people are lazy, don't want to come back to work. No, they found out that they could make more money and have more quality, a better quality of life, more enjoyable lifestyle working for themselves and or working for a friend. They no longer have to work for major corporations. Major corporations now have pressure on them to change their thinking to change their philosophy because these young people are like no i'm not coming back now I'm, my i never even got the unemployment check right. okay somebody stole it out of my box but i found out that something i did as simple as baking sweet potato pies could generate more money than i was making teaching school right right <laughs> okay they, they don't settle isn't that a beautiful thing they don't settle they don't settle. and i think we were afraid not to settle and so, Our parents were afraid. Yeah. Education was the way out. The two ways out for black people was land ownership, yeah. with even slaves owned the land. Okay, mm -hmm. and we've kind of forsaken that. At one time, we had like forty million acres. Now we got four mm -hmm. million. Okay, what happened to the other thirty-six million? All right, and we used to own all of the waterfront property. Yes, because that was considered flood zone. Right. Okay. The majority of those houses that were beachfront in Florida, those weren't black folks. Mm -hmm. All right. Black folks had given up that property a long time ago, but property and education, our ancestors saw as our tickets to a better life. Because we didn't own anything at that time. And so, yeah, absolutely. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and being entrepreneur was, was so challenging because even now, Sometimes you have to start over. Sometimes you just have to start from scratch again. But that's nothing to be ashamed of if you learned what you did wrong the first go round. Mm -hmm. Being an entrepreneur, I have preached that I have been on this, you know, soapbox 
am preaching this sermon for a very long time. The number one, in my opinion, benefit to being an entrepreneur is that you control your own schedule. You control your own life. You make the decisions. The buck stops with you. You don't have to worry about someone coming in like a new administration even and changing the game, the rules, okay, and making it more difficult. How difficult it is is based on how much effort you're willing to put into it and how you view it. If you view it as opportunity as opposed to challenge or, or you know, um, obstacle. It's what Michael Jordan said about playing basketball. He didn't know they were going to pay him. <laughs> right. He said he would have played for free. That's how much he loved the game. If you really love what you're doing, and, and if I could just give a plug to young people who are entrepreneurs and don't know it, okay, because they're either helping someone research papers for college, or they're braiding hair, or they're fixing somebody's moped, or they building skateboards. These are indications of you being an entrepreneur. You're showing your true potential, your future potential. Oftentimes when you're still in grade school and, and high school, it warms my heart every time I hear about a person 10, 12 years old who has started something and is being successful with it. Well, just think what they're going to be like when they get to be 22 instead of 12 or 32 or 42. Uh, we oftentimes are entrepreneurs and don't know it. That's a, that's that's excellent observation. Excellent observation. So let me ask you a question, and I'm I'm not going to keep you much longer, but I certainly appreciate your time. If indeed, um, can you tell us a little bit about what, um, your journey as an app? So you were kind of like a, a lone star in, mm -hmm. in a lot of ways with the things that you've accomplished. So what was in, in, in an industry that's that is still male dominant? Yeah. Um, what was that journey like for you um, as that lone star African-American woman in, in that industry? What was that like? When I talk about partnerships outside the industry, mm -hmm. the first woman to um, embrace me was Catherine Graham. All right. And she was the newspaper publishing. She had given for one dollar uh, WTOPFM to Howard University, it became WHUR. So she was particularly interested when I became the first woman and uh, vice president and general manager of a broadcasting facility in the nation's capital. So, you know, that's how she kind of took an interest in me. Uh, Dr. Dorothy Height, I was the first lifetime member of the National Council of Negro Women. Uh, Dr. C. Dolores Tucker. Now, these were women that had nothing to do with the entertainment industry, okay? but literally partnered with me, advised me, took me under their wing. And so even though I was the only one in my particular industry, I was not alone. Although I was the, the long um, uh, star in the entertainment industry, and, and still am oftentimes, quite frankly. Uh, they have various conferences and you know, of, of black owners and of owners, and I'll be the only black and the only woman there. Okay. Um, sometimes, but uh, there were women who reached out to me. 
Uh, I don't know. It was because I was so country coming from Omaha, Nebraska. Okay. That they're like, this little country pumpkin here needs some help. Okay. Because these were highly sophisticated. I mean, Dr. Height had advised presidents. <laughs> All right. She was used to going in and out of the White House. Barack Obama once uh, joked about, uh, he, he saw Dr. Height in the White House so much, he had stopped and asked her one day, do you have a key to my front door? <laughs> okay. <laughs> And that was way before he became the president. Okay. okay. All right. She was advising presidents for many, many, many administrations. Um, so I always had big sisters. I always had godmothers. I always had individuals who, who said to me, uh, you got potential. Okay. Let's see what we can do in cultivating and developing it. And I think that if any of those women, um, other than Catherine Graham, and she saw it as a partnership when I became the vice president and general manager of WHUR, because that was originally her station, okay? Um, but, um, you know, I think of Dr. Hyde or I see Dolores Tucker or Piola, Dr. Piola Spurlock, this incredible group of women, if they had had businesses, I think they would have partnered with me. Conversely, a lot of men said to me, you don't want to be an entrepreneur. You don't want to work for yourself. Uh, a couple of them told me I didn't have the personality or the disposition. Wow. And, uh, you know, of those 33 um, banks that turned me down when I was trying to get my first million dollar loan, at least half of them asked me, you plan to have children? I said, I already have a child. Would you plan to have any more? And one of the most challenging times in my career was when uh, Dewey and I decided that we wanted to part company, remain friends as we are to this day, but that we no longer wanted to be married to each other uh, because um, so many of the lending institutions that uh, I was doing business with refused to put the loan in my name. They wanted to keep him on the uh, documents. And, you know, he's arguing in my behalf for me saying, we're no longer together. Why would you, you know, want to keep me on the documents, you know? And uh, so it, it's been a situation where, thank God for the sisterhood, the Queen's Council, I call them. The Queen's Council, they were there for me. They still are there for me. Uh, and um, you're never alone if you really have a firm belief in the creator. You always know that God not only is present in your life, but it's going to send some other folks to be present in your life, bringing the message of the creator to you. But um, I have been the first in so many various areas that women had not been uh, able to achieve leadership in. But there's not a long line behind me. And that bothers me very, very much. I think that's that's really profound. You're absolutely right. Um, but I like that queen sisterhood piece. That's that's the queen's kind of, the sisterhood makes a big difference. And like I said, if we talk about partnershiping with business, okay, I mean sometimes they are best friends, two best friends, and they both have businesses and. Nothing clicks in terms of why don't you two work together on something? Mm -hmm. If it's no more than a website, no more than a podcast, no more than buying supplies together, 
You don't use, both use toilet paper, <laughs> okay? You both don't need copier paper. You both don't have, um, uh, you know, one of the popular commercials is bundling insurance, okay? All right. Is it not possible to bundle some coverage right. for both of you and get benefits? I mean, that that is every insurance company, every last one of them is pushing, you know, bundling. How about bundling with us? Oh, yeah, that's my sister. She just has, you know, different names. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Absolutely. What wonderful, wonderful advice. Um, so if you could sum up, you've given us a lot of of great, great, great um, advice. But if you could sum up um, anything in terms of um, moving into the future, you know, any words of encouragement for minority business? I know you talked about the, the young folks and, and that kind of thing, but any any advice as uh, that you can um, impart um, in, in terms of- well, it, well, it's not original. It's definitely being passed on. The best advice that I ever received came from the woman banker at Chemical Bank of New York, her first week on the job, who loaned me my first million dollars. And I have shared this so many times and I've lived this. I had been turned down 33 times and they weren't all men who had turned me down because at that time there was a new trend in America, women-owned banks, okay? There was a woman-owned bank in Washington, D.C. I went to and got turned down. So it wasn't just men who were denying um, financing me. It was women and men. So the sister was a Puerto Rican. It was her first week on the job. And she said, uh, okay, I'll do it. And she said it like that. I guess I was expecting horns and red carpet and fireworks. So it went right over my head. And I just kept selling. And she sat there patiently for about a, another five, 10 minutes. And then she said, whoa. She said, I'm going to give you a piece of advice that I hope you never, ever not use. And I said, okay. She said, you didn't even hear me when I told you I'm going to loan you that million dollars. She said, never sell past the close. She said, once the deal is closed, shut up and ask for the document. Get it signed, sealed, and delivered. So often, we're so busy talking that we're not listening. And that's what she was saying to me. And I tried to share that that's the best advice that's ever been given to me. Do not sell past the close because you may, in fact, shoot yourself in the foot, the head, and the pocketbook, okay? Because you did not, because I didn't hear her. I was so accustomed to hearing no. And I was not paying attention to what she was saying because she said it so calmly, so quiet. And then she followed up with saying, I thought it would be a Puerto Rican man that would be my first loan of a million dollars, but I'll take a black woman any day of the week. And I think that that's some of the most valuable advice that was ever given to me, that I love to share it. Do not sell past the close. And it's not just in business and borrowing money. It's everything. Kids are very guilty of that. You have gotten worn down. Yes, she can go to the party. She just keeps on. Well, mom, her parents are going to be there and everybody in the class is going. 
and you change your mind because why is she so desperate right. to get to the party? <laughs> okay, you had already said, well, we'll see. Right. We'll see means that you're going to take it under consideration, but she just keeps selling. Okay, she got to go to this party. So, what is there a boy there you trying to get to? <laughs> okay, <laughs> okay, what's happening at this party that you didn't hear me tell you that I was taking Makes it under consideration? Right. It makes you suspect. It makes you suspect that you uh, uh, really uh, are trying to hide something or that you don't have confidence. Okay. I told you that I would take it under advisement. In my case, Lydia Cologne was her name. Lydia had said, okay, I'll do it. And that's how she said it. Okay, I'll do it. Well, I didn't know she meant she would get me a glass of water or <laughs> a cup of tea or milk because I did not hear her. That is such great advice. You got to listen. You got to Don't listen. sell past the close. You have, because often you do, you do not listen. But like I said, all kids are guilty. Right. Okay. Right. Any parent that's going to see this video, okay, and that part doesn't get cut because I know you got to shorten this interview, but kids do it all the time and they talk themselves out of right. it because sometimes they're like, Maybe it wouldn't be so bad if she went over to, you know, uh, uh, Keisha's house for the party this weekend because I know her mother and they are going to be there. But she just kept selling. Right. And all of a sudden, he was like, mm, I don't know. I don't know. But sometimes that, that also falls into the instinct piece, right? And it's like, instinctively, mm, you're right. Something's up with that, right? <laughs> exactly. And, and when she said that to me, she said, you have to be a mature businesswoman now because you're going to get funded. Your okay, your proposal is going to get the million dollars that you're asking for. She said, you can't sell past the close. You can't keep trying to convince somebody once they've already said yes. Do you remember how long ago that was? Yeah, I remember exactly. My company is 42 years okay. old this year. It's last Monday, October 3rd. I turned 42. Yes. This, this was two years. Uh -huh, this was 44 years ago. Wow. This was 44 years ago. And I've used that as some of the best advice that, okay. That's something that, that we, sh we have to share with other entrepreneurs as well. I, it is my hope that this isn't our last conversation. I have learned. Oh, no. For, yeah, I no, have for learned. Sure, Sharon, you and I going to be joining the hip, girl. <laughs> I'm gonna... I, mean, I know you've been busy for seven years keeping this council not only, you know, alive, but growing and thriving. Well, okay. I like to think so. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Yeah, no, you've done a good job. Real proud of you. Well, I am going to, um, this This has been wonderful. I, I feel like I've, I've, I'm, not, I'm now inspired. Um, there's a lot of people um, that um, aspire to be you. And so I think this conversation is such a gift. And so thank you so very, very much. It's such a gift. And thank you for your time. Um, and congratulations on, you've been inducted into many things, but the, to allowing us to honor you is such an honor for us. And so we applaud you for everything that you have done and will continue to do um, and your dedication and your leadership and, and your legacy it is just, it's so inspiring. So thank you. Thank you so much. Well, it, it, it's especially important to me because it's the 50th anniversary to be inducted as one of the 50th anniversary leaders carries with it just an extra dose of, uh, of pride and uh, honor and humility for me. Oh, thank you. Thank you. 